0: This easy to use app lets you browse privately, securely, and now you can try it for free for seven days. Go to tunnelbear.com canadaland Canada land to learn more. Hey, remember when Canada turned 150? Crazy times, guys. You know what? I was wrong. I I, I thought this country would be awash in patriotic nonsense and Canada land would be the lone voice of dissent. I was prepared for jingoistic, flag-waving, saber-rattling, I am Canadian chest-thumping. I thought that when I hit the road with our live stage show, which was based on our book, which was based on this podcast, that I would face angry patriots appalled by my treasonous jokes but i was wrong the maple syrup campaign was in full force that part i got right but nobody cared canada 150 was a flop all of those banks and insurance companies and restaurants and and beer brands and ketchup flavored potato chips that wrapped themselves in the flag hoping to cash in that was all a bust too not a lot of people cared if in a few years' time we remember the sequicentennial at all, we will remember the backlash. And not my backlash, the indigenous backlash, which put the lie to the sunny ways story of quick-fix reconciliation. God bless this country. Anyhow, my self-serious mission to subvert the Canada 150, it morphed into just a perfectly enjoyable trip across this country— A lot of you came out and bought tickets even to watch me perform the stage show. Thanks, guys. The last performance of the tour was in the U.S. on the Sunday before Canada Day. I invited the secret Canadians of New York to a club called Union Hall in a basement in Brooklyn. We taped it. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Adina Bogert O'Brien, Lena Kim, Graham McElheran, Jeremy Petter, Jennifer Woodside, Jordan Krongold, David Telfer, and Farah Khaled. Farah, why did you decide to be awesome? I support Canada Land because I think this kind of watch on Canadian news media is the only thing that enforces standards of behavior. And it makes me feel like I'm not crazy when the world seems to only follow American news media and define Canadian values as either non-existent or exclusively connected to theirs. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people, you can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And this episode is brought to you by TunnelBear. Look, not everybody wants a VPN for privacy concerns or to get around geo blocking. Believe it or not, some people actually want to use them as they were intended to be used to manage your traffic in a secure way. Countless businesses use VPNs every day to work securely in the office or while traveling. The downside is that enterprise level VPN, VPN for businesses, can be incredibly expensive and complicated to set up and use. TunnelBear for Teams. Changes all of that. You can painlessly add your whole team to the account, giving you the ability to easily change, update, and manage users without complicated interfaces or set up by a network admin. TunnelBear for teams comes with priority support, easy team management, and lots of bears. Many, many bears. Find out more and start your seven-day free trial at TunnelBear.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks, a beauty to behold to anyone who appreciates a well-designed piece of software, application, website. It is mission control for my business. I think it'll be mission control for yours. It started as something that I used just for invoicing to make my invoices look really good. And so I could send out invoices that I could track when they're opened, and it has since grown and become the place where I go to find out how things are going, to find out how much money I can expect to receive in the weeks and months ahead, to find out who owes me money and hasn't paid me that money, to very quickly get the receipts out of my wallet and into a digital form so I can bill them to people who owe me money to recoup expenses that I've paid. All of that is made super simple and it's just a nice place to be. Have a look, actually. Go to freshbooks.com CanadaLand and have a look at the way this thing is designed. It gets you thinking about how good design can be and it saves you a lot of time. Try it out for free for 30 days. You do not have to give them a credit card. When you decide to become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. It's at freshbooks.com CanadaLand. Hello, secret Canadians of New York. I want you to know that everyone back home is so proud of what you have accomplished. I mean it. I have been, I have been touring through the country. I have been from Toronto to Victoria, Hamilton, Kingston, Saskatoon. Everyone is incredibly thrilled with what you have accomplished. You did it. You got them to care about us. Canada the free. Canada the kind. Canada the good example. Canada the aspirational boyfriend. It's amazing. Getting Americans to pay attention to us has been the primary goal of Canadian foreign policy for the past 40 years. (laughs) But for all the work we've put into it, building Brand Canada, we never quite cracked it. We never quite built a brand that people cared about. I mean, the list we've been trying to build of what Brand Canada is, like, it's the same list year after year hockey, beaver, moose, diversity is our strength, sorry about the indigenous genocide, something, something, donuts, beer. Even the Canadian government, they're throwing $500 million into trying to get people to care about Canada. And after three days, they ran out of shit to say, and they started tweeting about our rainbows. (laughs) You can't build a national identity on rainbows. Everybody has rainbows. It was just always too boring for people to care. And that's how you cracked it. You figured it out. It's timing. It's genius. You figured out that right now the world is so fucked up and chaotic and scary that boring is looking great. You got everyone in the world to look at us and say, look at those guys. How are they so boring? Nothing is happening there. We want some of that. It's really incredible. I mean, just give yourselves a round of applause. Seriously. muzzle But I did not ask you here to congratulate you. This is a safe space. You're among friends here. And here... We need to admit it. We don't really care about Canada. (laughs) We don't. Not really. And nothing I say here tonight is going to get you to care about Canada any more than you do right now. But I will promise you this. By the time you leave this room, I will make you proud of Canada. Please now rise for the national anthem I'm serious, get up Should you fuck the Prime Minister? The world has recently discovered that it would like to fuck our Prime Minister. I guess the question is, what are you in this for? Is this about fame and fortune? Because I don't think that's going to work out for you. But if this is just what you're into, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to help. But I think if you're going to erotically fixate on a Canadian prime minister, you should know that you have options. There are many Canadian prime ministers throughout the ages who you might consider fucking. So, tonight, let's weigh the pros and cons. Let's have a look at some prime ministers. Pierre Trudeau. Pro... He is going to declare martial law on that ass. On the other hand, he is actually going to declare martial law. Uh, Con, thick 70s dad bush. Add it all up, and uh, you know what? Pretty fuckable. Lester B. Pearson, the airport prime minister. Pro, nice boy totally nice boy the bow tie the blue helmet peacekeepers nice boy uh, Con imagine screaming Lester in a fit of passion you know what you fucked worse throw him a fuck what about this scrappy little fellow Jean Chrétien uh, Con he is not going to treat you well Con he has hands like big freaky coconut crabs con or pro depending on what you like a blizzard broke his face it's going to factor into the decision i'm looking at that photograph and you know what you got to hand it to him he is kind of fuckable okay full circle Justin Trudeau. Khan, he is into hot yoga. Khan, he has already written you poetry after your first date. Khan, he has a terrible fuckboy tattoo. And and Khan, you know that as soon as he's finished, he's gonna roll over and stare deep into your eyes and whisper, hey. Do not fuck this man. Easy answer. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's consider another major Canadian icon, the Federal Secret Police of Canada. The Mounties are the feds in Canada. They were established in 1919 after the Winnipeg General Strike when they stepped on some communists and hippies, and it was discovered they were an effective force for surveying Uh, The Canadian population, intimidating foreigners and immigrants, perceived uh, communists, Bolsheviks. And they are a federal police force. They're not the cop on the corner. They're not the provincial police. They are the federal police, and they pretty much answer to themselves. And they've been stumbling from scandal to scandal throughout their history. Let's have a look at their greatest hits. They forced people to watch gay porn. The Mounties wanted to know who in the civil service was gay. So, one by one, they brought people into RCMP headquarters and they forced them to watch gay pornography while this machine, they called it the fruit machine, measured the dilation of their pupils. And if if your pupil's dilated, uh, you're gay. That's the best technology you could come up with Um, at the time. (laughs) Using this data, they basically created an analog grinder. They put... (laughs) They put a red dot on the map of Ottawa, wherever a suspected homosexual lived, and then they ran out of space, and they got a bigger map. The only part of the map that didn't have red dots on it was the RCMP headquarters. They burned down a barn. This is a bit of a story. They had information that the FLQ, the the terrorists, the French separatist terrorists, were going to meet in a barn with the Black Panthers. This gets Mounties very excited. It's like the meeting of supervillains. They're going to meet in a barn, and the Mounties decided, we're going to bust into that barn ahead of time, and we're going to wiretap the barn. But they couldn't break into the barn, so they burned it down. (laughs) There was never a meeting. They had that information. Finally, they harassed hundreds of women, which won't surprise you that cops harassed women, except for the fact that it was their own women. They just settled massive class action lawsuits, $100 million. They had to apologize for creating a, a culture of sexual harassment, assault, intimidation, and bullying. Like I say, there, there has not been a time in their history where they haven't been trampling on the civil liberties of Canadians and uh, covering themselves in shame. And for all of this scandal, what do we think about when we think about the Mounties? What is their public image? It's still very good. They're still the heroes of Canada have a very positive public image. It's not like when you think of, like, the spooks, the FBI, you know, Hoover's, like, men in black, like, that's a different thing. We still think of the Mounties in a very positive light. Why? I figured it out. Ponies. It's the horsies. If you have furry animal sidekicks, it's very hard to be afraid of you. Let this be a lesson to any type of totalitarian regime anywhere in the galaxy. (laughs) I would like to talk about Canadian multiculturalism (laughs) (laughs) and multiculturalism is actually part of Canadian policy and you can see it for yourself. If you travel a short distance outside of any major Canadian city, you will enjoy exposure to a vast diverse rainbow of white people. (laughs) There are many different white cultures in Canada. And the problem that a lot of tourists, the mistake they make is they conflate them. It's not a monolith. Canada's white people come in many different shapes and sizes. (laughs) Though they are all named Gordon, they are very different from region to region. Gord of Hamilton is a hoser. He wears blue plaid. He drinks Labatt blue. Gord of Surrey drinks Cocony. He wears a different color of plaid. He is a buddy. Don't mistake... An A guy of Miramichi for a dude. They're different things. Be very careful who you call a goof. Does not mean what you think it means. Do not use that term in Kingston. The white peoples of Canada come in many different religious denominations. Places of worship include Irish pubs, Home Depots, Canadian- Chinese restaurants, the White Man Bible, is the game by Ken Dryden, that's the Old Testament. And the game by Neil Strauss, that's the New Testament. <laughs> there are many cultural practices amongst the white peoples of Canada, going out for a rip is different than giving her. Not the same thing. Don't embarrass yourself. They both involve getting shitfaced in your mom's basement. Here is the most important thing when visiting Canada and being exposed to white people White people of Canada, their cultures are vulnerable. Please be sensitive to this. These are endangered cultures. They are threatened by external pressures such as petitions to get rid of fighting and hockey. (laughs) Feminist critiques of video games. Accusations of cultural appropriation. I don't know what that is. And uh, the extreme PETA fast food chain. It's just a little too ethnic. Let's talk about Toronto for a moment. My dad tells me that Toronto, when he was a boy growing up in Winnipeg, was this shithole boring backwater that you would pass without getting off the train on your way to Montreal. In fact, Toronto was deemed a temporary city for the early years of British rule. Later, it was a a hog processing town. It was a boring, tight-ass Protestant town with nothing much going for it. And then, in the 60s and 70s, Toronto became the center of the Canadian universe Totally by accident. And the reason was fear. Fear of a separate Quebec drove the major companies of Canada and banks to relocate their headquarters from Montreal to Toronto. And scared Anglos followed down the 401. And overnight, Toronto boomed. Toronto became a capital of finance of Canada. And the city grew in a completely unregulated way. Just boroughs stitched together, ass to mouth, completely ungovernable. And all of this happened at exactly the ugliest moment of world architecture. (laughs) Toronto is the ugliest city of its size in the world, and naturally it is obsessed with real estate. Real estate is the obsession of Toronto to the point where Torontonians are actually proud to learn that it is more expensive to buy real estate in Toronto Than the greater New York area All combined and averaged Torontonians love it When they're compared to New York It's like New York But run by the Swiss It's like New York But without all the stuff It's not fucking New York The reason I know that Toronto is nothing like New York is that no Torontonian has ever said the words, God, I love this town. Uh, Let's discuss Canada's intellectual charlatans. This is your neighbor, Malcolm Gladwell. You can tell that he is a genius by the way his weird hair is lit in this photograph. Please don't laugh at Malcolm Gladwell. He is worth every penny of the $100,000 he charges to deliver a speech. Every penny. Because his ideas are so incredible. He changed the world with his big ideas. Everybody remembers his first big idea. New trends sure do get popular all of a sudden. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) How do you follow up an idea like that? he did it. We all remember his next huge idea. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> Incredible contribution. Quite an intellectual. In fact, Malcolm Gladwell is a phony intellectual, and he basically is the king of this whole industry of self-anointed fake intellectuals. These think these thinkfluencers, these thought leaders, these gurus, these schmucks who we glorify and overpay. These guys who pretend that there is no idea So complicated that it can't be boiled down to a fun little slideshow. (laughs) But Malcolm Gladwell cannot be blamed for this whole movement. There's another Canadian that we can blame for that. And you may not recognize this man's face, but I guarantee that everyone in this room knows Marshall McLuhan's big idea. Say it with me now. The medium is the message. Oh, you guys know an idea so smart. That's actually what Marshall McLuhan came up with is that if you can mass market a slogan, a buzzword, a sentence, you could be a celebrity. He was the world's first celebrity academic. He was everywhere. He was interviewed in Playboy magazine, he was he was on television, he was in a Woody Allen movie. But before he got there, before he hit upon gold with the medium is the message, you know, an idea that that makes everybody feel smart because when you hear it, you're like, "Oh yeah, that's a that's a smart idea. The medium is the message." And the more you think about it, the less smart it seems. Medium isn't the message at all. doesn't matter. The idea has stuck like glue, and it worked for him. But before he got there, he had to write a lot of other things. And, and I use the word write loosely because Marshall McLuhan didn't actually write anything. He would just lie down on a couch, and his assistants would write down whatever free association blather would come out of his mouth. He just smushed words together for a long time before he got to the medium is the message, which is why I want to play a game with you now. Is it a Marshall McLuhan concept? Or did I just make it up? Are you ready? Let's play. Okay, The Mechanical Bride. Mechanical Bride. McLuhan concept or word salad? Anyone? It is a McLuhan concept. Very good. It's actually the title of his first book, which sold under 100 copies. I tried to find out what Mechanical Bride meant, so I I hunted down a copy, and I couldn't make heads or tails of this book. But I did find an interesting anecdote. To explain why the book sold so poorly, McLuhan said to his biographer that it was because of his editor. Uh, It was because of a, quote, vague homosexual influence in the publishing world that was horrified by the masculine vigor of his prose and tried to castrate his text. Okay, Uh, Moving on That That is true Yeah I didn't go much further than Wikipedia But it's absolutely true (laughs) Bonanza land McLuhan concept or did I make it up? Made it up up. Sounds pretty made up right? No that is a McLuhan concept (laughs) What does it mean? We march backwards into the future Suburbia lives imaginatively In Bonanza land I don't know what that means Okay. Marshall McLuhan famously predicted the internet. Did he also come up with the term digital gestalt? McLuhan concept or made up? Yeah. And now you're not sure. Yeah, just made that one up. Just messing with you with that one. Finally, truck gardens. <laughs> truck gardens. McLuhan concept or, or fake? I hope You're on to me by now. It is a McLuhan concept. What does it mean? Thunder number four, patterns of nature submitted to greed and power. It's impossible to understand. Here's another McLuhan quote, okay? Here's a McLuhan quote. You and I are archetypal degradations of a preceptual modality that puts apprehension before obsolescence. I believe that is Marshall McLuhan breaking up with his college girlfriend. (laughs) So he basically wrote the rulebook, the blueprint, and now we have uh, tons of these guys many of whom are Canadian. Here are a bunch of Canadian thought leaders. Don't they look like the world's worst dad band? We have Douglas Copeland there. He came up with the term Gen X in 1989. That's it. That's all he did. (laughs) On keyboards is Don Tapscott. He wrote the book Wikinomics. What if we took Wikipedia and economics and put them together? inspirational idea, businesses love that, you know, what if the the collaborative crowdsource nature of Wikipedia could be applied to economics, they love that idea, it never happened at all, completely bad prediction, and finally, Richard Florida, Richard Florida, expat American, now Torontonian, Richard Florida, uh, his big idea was the creative class, he actually brought back the idea of a class system as a gr- good idea, he sold the idea to a lot of mayors and urban planners that the best class of citizen imaginable is uh, an upwardly mobile, upper-middle-class, quasi-creative gentrifier. That idea was also very popular with upper-middle-class, quasi-creative gentrifiers, (laughs) and Richard Florida basically ruined many good cities by suggesting that everything should be williamsburg Canadians are famous for their good manners. We always say so. That's what we're famous for. And the classic example is that when two Canadians bump into each other, they both apologize. It's just something about us. We're just twee. We're just like that. But I I think it's worth examining the Canadian apology. When someone steps on my foot and I say sorry to them, am I actually expressing remorse? Am I actually taking responsibility? Is that what sorry means in that instance? I'm not so sure. And so I traced the word back etymologically. And, it, and, it, and I found that it actually comes from the old English word sarig, which means pained or distressed. That feels a lot more accurate. That feel like, get off my fucking foot. That is what you're actually, ah. You're not apologizing. You're complaining. A Canadian apology is a complaint. And in fact, there actually is something called the 2009 Apology Act. The meaninglessness of the Canadian Apology is enshrined in law. The Apology Act states that the phrase, I'm sorry, does not constitute admission of fault or liability and cannot be entered into evidence in a civil proceeding. But I'm, you know, I'm being really reductive here, okay? Because it's very contextual. Sometimes sorry can mean sorry. It all depends on the circumstance. Let's look at some different contexts to see what different Canadian apologies mean. Okay, let's follow a typical Canadian. We'll call him Stephen as he goes about his business. Here's Stephen uh, walking past a homeless man. And the homeless man says, excuse me, sir, can can you spare some change so I can get something to eat? And Stephen says, sorry, just shuffles past. Translation. Do not touch me. Do not make eye contact with me. Do not invade my personal bubble. I will call the police. Stephen goes about his business. He sits down for brunch, tries to get the waiter's attention. Excuse me. Excuse me. Wait, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I-, I could swear that when you described the special to me, you said that the arugula salad comes with wild blueberries. Translation, you lied to me, and I will spend my afternoon ruining you on Yelp. <laughs> Scenario three, je excusez, uh, I'm sorry, I don't speak French. Translation. Fuck you. Fuck you. You know I don't speak French. You knew it. Fuck you for putting me out of my depth. Why don't you people fucking secede already? (laughs) Scenario four. Steve bumps into a fire hydrant and apologizes. (laughs) Translation. I bow down before you, oh inanimate object. Were it socially acceptable to lick your sturdy base, I would do so. Oh, there's one more. Scenario five. The government of Canada now recognizes that it was wrong to forcibly remove children from their homes, and for this, we are sorry. He said he's sorry. Uh. Translation. As my own speechwriter will later confirm, this apology is a strategic attempt to kill the story of the Canadian government practicing cultural genocide against Indigenous people. Let there be no mistake, I admire the prime ministers who did those things, and as soon as I get a chance, I will extend their policies by underfunding aboriginal education and refusing to conduct an inquiry into the thousand missing and murdered indigenous women. That was what he actually meant. Let's talk about climate change. Because this is a serious issue. This is not a tomorrow issue. This is happening right now. This is happening now. The world has already been pushed into a state of, permanent crisis. There are food riots, climate refugees, civil wars, drought, famine, disease, tsunamis, freak weather occurrences every day. Climate change is upon us. And Canadians recognize this. We're very sensitive to this because climate change, our climate in Canada, it's the first thing people think about when they think about Canada is climate. And our environment, we're proud of our environment. We're very linked to our environment. So When it comes to climate change, we take things very seriously. We are acutely aware of this crisis. Our climate is terrible. We would love to change it. You're from Canada? How's the climate? Miserable. Would you like some climate change? Yes, we would like that. It's already better. Toronto in 2017 feels like New York in 1997. It's much nicer. And we admit this. We admit this to each other. Safe space. We admit this. I was in Saskatoon in February on one of those freak weather days that are becoming more and more common. And I left my winter jacket, my parka in my hotel room. And I took to the streets of Saskatoon in February in a t-shirt with a dumb grin on my face. And everyone I walked into, strangers were also wearing their t-shirts. And we were just thrilled to feel the sun on our skin. And I had the same conversation with like three different strangers. It went like, Crazy weather, huh? Then they said, yeah, if this is global warming, I'll take it. Wink. Global warming, fuck yeah. I don't care what we say to Americans. I don't care what we say at the G8. Canadians love global warming. This is not me and my anecdotes and my personal experience. This is the policy of Canada because Canada has the oil sands. We have the oil sands. The oil sands are polluting enough greenhouse gas to actually make the planet hotter. It's like a thermostat that we control the switch to and we're fucking button mashing on it constantly. We control the temperature of the world through the tar sands. And that thermostat, instead of getting sent a bill for turning the temperature up, we get sent billions of dollars. So we're just doing it more and more. It's win-win. The warmer it gets, the more we melt the north. Do you know what's underneath the Arctic? Natural gas. We now have access to it. More fresh water. We have some of the most fresh water reserves in the world. Canadians live within an hour and a half drive to America. 75% of us live right along the border. We're clinging to the border for warmth. Global warming, it's opening up all that land. We can move agriculture north, bring livestock, cows farting, more global warming. Win, win, win. Global warming, fuck yeah. Yeah. We may lose Vancouver, but we sold most of it to the Chinese. Sir, we admit this. Our prime minister admits it when he's among friends. This is what Justin Trudeau said to the oil and gas industry. No country would find 173 billion barrels of oil in the ground and just leave it there. You're not going to just leave it there. You have to dig up that shit through the most polluting extraction method known and burn every drop of it. And every major party agrees with him. That is the plan. That's what Canada is doing. Global warming, fuck yeah, is the policy of Canada. We admit it to ourselves in the press. CBC says global warming will hurt most economies but boost Canada's. The Toronto Sun puts it much more eloquently. Canada is looking hot. (laughs) CTV has delusions of grandeur. By the year 2050, Canada could emerge as a global superpower. And our government admits it. Agriculture Canada says global warming may provide opportunities. The world's misery is our opportunity. Global warming, fuck yeah, Canada is looking hot. Maybe not. Things could go a different way. I bring to you now a grim vision of a different future for Canada. The year is 2021 and the wall has been built The Grand Trump Amigo Wall. It worked, it pushed all the industrial jobs back into the states, leaving Mexico free to focus on its tech sector. And it's booming, El Silicon Grande. We don't Google anymore, we just use Gusto. And Trump, for his reelection bid, had to pick another country to kick around. And he chose Canada, and it worked. I bring you now the Canadian Friendship Enhancement Barrier. It is built with Canada's last remaining natural resource, polar bears and unpaid interns, and ice. Canadian geese are crucified along top to act as a warning to other migratory fowl that might not respect national boundaries. It stretches from coast to coast with a noticeable gap along Saskatchewan, because who's going to fucking bother there? The airspace above is patrolled by Breitbart news drones on the lookout for contraband Uber Eats poutine delivery bots. Glenn Beck tries and fails again to switch sides while Lena Dunham tunnels underneath. (laughs) Every hundred yards is demarcated by an inane Banksy mural. And finally, on wall duty, keeping vigil above it all because winter has come to Canada. Justin Trudeau. Finally, he is ready. <laughs> That's very ridiculous. Um, I'm sorry. I do not care about Canada. I don't, but I promised you that by the time we all left here, I'd give you something to be proud of. I want to suggest to you that that is is the thing to be proud of. The fact that we don't care. We've been searching for so long. What's our thing? What's our unique thing? What's the Canadian... It was under our nose the whole time. We're the only country that doesn't care. No one's ever tried that before. You had to care. Every other country. You better care. You have to care. You better pledge allegiance. You have to salute the flag. You have to kill people for your country. You have to die for your country. Canada, you don't have to care. You can just live your life you can live your life and know that there are public schools to send your kids to that are perfectly adequate. <laughs> They're okay. You can go to bed at night with the peace of mind that comes from knowing that there is a universal health care system for each and every Canadian that you don't ever want to use. <laughs> you just dread using it. You don't want to go there at all. And you can live your life, and 98% of the time, you don't even have to think about politics. Americans do not have this. Every American knows it's not just what they talk about and think about politics, it's who they are, their identity. What are you? I'm a Republican, like my dad. I'm a Democrat. Did you ever meet a Canadian who says that? There are a few. There's a few. I'm a grit. I'm a Tory. I'm a dipper. You're a loser. <laughs> and you're embarrassing me. Embarrass, shame, shame. When Americans go, USA, USA, that feeling. Ah, that is a brave and bold Canadian feeling. That shame. I'm proud of that shame. That's what I'm proud of. Shame. Shame over patriotism. Canada was built to make you ashamed. Of patriotism. Because you can't wave the Canadian flag and get a patriotic boner. It's a picture of a leaf. (laughs) Why a leaf? It's so random. Why not an acorn? Or a twig? Or some pebbles? That's what Canada is. I am so proud to live in a nation that is ashamed of nationalism. And that is what unites us. Everyone here in this room, every Canadian here in this room. Whether you are white or black or indigenous, you're mostly white, whatever, all of us are the people who happen to be Canadian. Well, God bless you all. Happy birthday, Canada, and God save the queen. Thank you. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. I can be reached at Jesse at CanadaLandShow.com. I read what you send me, and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Like us on Facebook if you want to see our news stories in your feed. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com/CanadaLand. Today's episode was recorded by the folks at Union Hall in Brooklyn and produced by Kevin Sexton and Russell Gregg. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Guys, I'm taking a little vacation. There will be no shortcuts on Thursday and no Canada Land on Monday. Be back after that. If you like what we do, please support us.